Folks, we are back again in the Capitol. I'm very excited to be here with Representative, newly elected Representative Laddie Shaw. Laddie, how, how are you? I'm extremely well. Thank you for your concern for my welfare and well-being, Jeff. You're, you're t- I, I, I got to say, I've seen you here the last few weeks. You always have a nice tie. It's I have the nicest tie in the building. Very uh, colorful, entertaining ties. As they should be. So there's a lot to talk about. You, we met in the summer with uh, we our website, Landmine. We did a profile of your primary, and we came and saw you in... That was probably one of the most high-energy interviews I ever did. It was actually probably the most fun I had. You, you had the Ural Russian motorcycle with a sidecar. And I had you in it. And I, was, I, I barely fit, but I, did, I was able to squeeze in there. Yeah, we got to use a pry bar. We got you out of there. That was, uh, so you went, door to, you went door-to-door. In the, in the, so if the folks don't know, Ural is a Russian-Soviet motorcycle with a sidecar that somebody can sit in. And if you see one, they're very I mean, icon, iconic. If you see one, you'll... You'll know it. So you, you have that. You've had it for a long time? or I've had it. I bought it in 2013. So yeah, I've had it for a few years. So you went, you had your signs and your stuff in the sidecar. And in some of your district, the, it's, the driveways are a few, like long distances between the driveways. 185 foot long with 20 mile an hour signs. So that Euro came in pretty handy. So when you tr- showed up, I'm sure people said, hey, what, what's... What is that? It was as much of a conversation piece as anything else. It talked to an ounce about politics and a pound about my Ural. They really enjoyed the, the motorcycle. And, and most of my campaigning was done on is relative to th- things that those folks enjoyed. And they enjoyed my Ural. They, they liked talking about it. They wanted to know where it came from. Because the style hasn't changed since 1941. Mm-hmm. It's still built in the same factory, solid steel. I feel, but, like, I feel like if I have the Speedo, you have the Ural. Yeah, well, I don't know if I want to make that comparison. Like, <laughs> but, but the, the as far as what somebody thinks. Oh, about, yeah. yeah. They, they know you for your Speedo, and they, I think they've gotten to know me for my Ural. So you, um, the, the, I think the most fascinating thing about meeting you um, was you, former Navy guy, Navy SEAL, uh, before it was even the SEALs, right? It was Frogmen. Uh, well, I was a Frogman. I came out with the underwater demolition community after I gra- graduated. The SEALs came out in 1962. I graduated from training, and uh, they recommissioned a team for Vietnam because we couldn't fill the SEAL slots. And I went over. I went to Vietnam with UDT thirteen, and then when I left the service, I they decommissioned thirteen, and I went to SEAL Team one. So the really interesting thing is, my dad was in the Navy twenty five years, and I was actually born in San Diego in the Naval Hospital. And when I told you that, my my dad, uh, you guys had similar time times in the military. We did. So we I called him, and you guys actually know a bunch of people because my dad worked pretty close with the SEALs for a long time. So he knows a bunch of people that you knew, that you served with. Yes, because we, we were the same generation. So uh, the, the fact that we crossed paths from San Clemente Island, which was our training grounds, and, and your dad had uh, had done some work out there with the SEALs, and we literally knew we crossed uh, names, cross-reference names. I was shocked. What some a small, of the same people. What a small world, huh? Extremely small, yes. Very condensed. So, so you had the three-way primary, uh, which you won, and then you went to the general. And I mean, I, I feel like you're, you were pretty, it's a pretty Republican area. Yeah, it's pretty conservative, and I ran against Anita Thorne, and just the nicest lady in the world. And she, she even actually came into my office down here. She said it's the first time that she has visited, physically visited, a representative office. That's nice. It was very nice of her. So your your area is uh, kind of Huffman, uh, to Abbott. It's, uh, so it's west of the, it's east of the highway, right? It's on the east side of the yes, highway. Yes, yes, up to hillside. So you have uh, you have some of those big, like you were saying, those big long driveways, some of those big houses up there. Oh yeah, there's a few homes up there that are uh, seven figures. Something else about you, which I just, I mean, Letty, you're kind of a pretty, I mean, you're, how, old you, how old are you, 70? I'll be 70 here in April. 
Okay, so the other thing, and, and this was actually uh, on Juno, uh, Alaska Twitter there a few weeks ago. Um, you, you're a, you do paragliding, I so do, the, yes. the the basically the, the wing, the the big wing, and you go up to hill uh, flat top for the you put you put up the flag, right? Is that the the flag up there everybody sees when they go up there? Yes, it's my flag. But when you come down because of your knees, you don't walk down, do you? No, I don't. I I, I have other forms of transportation. So that's just it's wild that. So when they took the picture, you took the picture for on Twitter. And then it started getting shared, and now they're doing this thing with the state bird. And there was this joke, well, now we'll make Laddie Shaw the state bird. <laughs> I think that may have been when I was flying off Mount Roberts. I, I took my lunch hour, and I went for a hike up Mount Roberts, and it was a nice day. And, you know, I only get about an hour and a half for lunch, so I was back in my office an hour and a half. I hiked up to the cross, flew off. and uh, So, so how, how, how heavy is the paraglider? It weighs about 15 pounds. There's not much to it. Wow. So is there anybody else in Juno? I mean, I know in Anchorage, there's a lot We've of people. We've got a few it. folks. I met a guy that I've uh, flown off Mount Roberts with a couple times. He's a local guy. I feel like you're probably the only one in the... Didn't Josh Revac say he wanted to learn? Yeah, everybody wants to learn. You got to you gotta maybe start a little side, you know, maybe a little way to bond with your uh, yeah. fellow legislators. There's a little more to it. The problem is if I, if I taught them, they may not uh, have the luck I do in landing. So that's the important part of it. Yeah, then there, there might be some questions. <laughs> what's, well, going, questions what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. So this is your first time. You actually ran uh, many years ago, right? For the 14 years ago, I ran in 2004 against Bob Lynn. He was an incumbent. Kirk Wickersham, there was a three-way race, and Kirk and I both took a beating from Bob. Bob Bob's very popular. He, Bob endorsed me in this campaign. Him and I became very close, and uh, he, the district appreciated him very much. He he stood up for his district. He stood up for the longevity bonus, and Murkowski, Governor Murkowski was going to cut it. And so he was well-respected. And so to get his endorsement for my campaign may it was big. Yeah, I don't know if you follow him on Facebook, but lately he's been pretty active on Facebook. He, he has. He puts some pretty, sometimes some pretty funny updates on there. Uh, some... Updates and pictures back from when he was young, which yeah. would, would have been during the Wright brothers. I mean, he, he was um, he was born in the 30s, wasn't he? Yes, I mean, he's, he was, because he's, he's, he's about 85 now. Yeah, so, he's. Yeah. Uh, I remember when he was in the legislature, he was always kind of a character. Yeah. Um, so you, in addition, so you ran for the legislature 14 years ago, but before that you had worked in government... Um, tell me a little bit about what you did with, uh, you worked for Knowles, right, in Hickel? Yes. I uh, spent 20 years with the state. I came out in 1983 uh, running the emergency response program for the troopers, uh, search and rescue, their SWAT training program, emergency medical stuff, uh, the dive program, uh, helicopter operations. And so it's sort of a good fit with my Navy SEAL background because I, I did most of that stuff. And, uh, How did that? Did you? Was there like a job opening you saw? Or did... There was a job opening just by chance. I'd come up here from from uh, Southern California. I got out of the Navy, went back to San Diego State, graduated, and was needed some direction. So I went to Alaska because it was a, a booming time, and uh, I fit into a job that was just made for me. And uh, I started working for the troopers in '83, doing what I already I knew well. I mean, shooting, helicopter operation, all that stuff was sort of second nature after being in the SEALs for a career. And uh, and then from there, I moved to the academy. I got transferred to the academy in Sitka and taught at the academy in Sitka from 88 to 93. For the troopers, right? For the troopers. And then uh, in 93, I got appointed under the Hickel administration to run the regulatory agency for law enforcement for the state, director of police standards, had 54 police departments, corrections, and uh, That was when he ran as an uh, independence party, right? Uh, no. I think I think— I think you switched, wasn't that? 90? I was, I was, I was undeclared between. No, no, Hickel. He he ran again. Oh no, he was yes, he, he was independent. Yes, he, he did the independence party thing, and yes, because there was I think it was a was it a three way or it was a three way. What happened then? Because he was governor. He was governor in like this 
60s yeah, or something. And then yeah. he came back as Independence Party. And yeah, and I think, won. I think after a while he like he like dropped that. He's like, Yeah, I'm not I'm not part of that. <laughs> I think he won with thirty eight percent of the vote in a three way race, but he won. I don't know what it was, but uh, yeah, he came out of the clear blue as an independent and won. Yeah. So uh, did did you know him or did uh, no, uh there were people in the community that made my connection with him. And so that's how I came on board. I uh, I was the first civilian to hold that position because it's a uh, you're a regulatory oversight for law enforcement. So what, what 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 group is that? Or what what what? Um, police standards. And that still that still exists. Yes, police, it still okay. exists. Yeah. So to come on board as a civilian, uh, it was pretty extraordinary. But uh, you know, I, m- I met the minimums as far as a uh, law enforcement background, not directly out on the street. But I I taught criminal justice at the academy, and in, in addition to defensive tactics and a number of other things, but. My background with public safety was a good fit, and I really I done some research on uh, the regulatory agency, and I've, I've got a master's in public administration, so I understand administration. And across the board, administrators are administrators. You learn the process, and so I went through the interviews. I had uh, 13 people on the council that interviewed me, and I got the job. So very fortunate. So I stayed here in Juneau till '99, and then uh, Tony Knowles, uh, who I've been friends with for 35 years. Uh, asked me if I'd come back to Anchorage and start the veterans program back up under the state because it had sort of been stagnant for a while and they didn't have a veterans council. They didn't have a ver- veterans conduit to the well, federal yeah, I mean, side. Alaska has the most per ca- number of veterans per capita, right? Yes, we do. Yeah. And so I took that job, moved back to Anchorage, and then uh, retired in 2003 with 20 years with the state. Wow. So what was it like? I mean, being in the Navy and, and the SEAL and then being on the kind of bureaucratic side, was it a lot Was it frustrating or was it easier, no, harder? it's... it's uh, Administration is a, a little, it's different. It, there's a little bit of an educational curve that goes there and you spend time at a desk. And so when, you, when you've got a type A personality and, you know, you burn 3,000 calories a day sitting at a desk, you want to get out and do something, you want to keep involved. But uh, it, it was an interesting transition and, and I did okay with it. I, I, I completed the job in a, a pretty decent manner. I had no complaints. So you, you were in Juneau for quite, quite a number of years, uh, right? Six years. So now you're back here. Now you're back here. I imagine you probably have some friends or people you. A number of friends. I came back here and I uh, was surprised at how many people are still here. The number of them. I used to run with the Smoking Old Geezers when I was in Southeast. And we had a running group that had to be over 50 years old. We'd run Klondike together every year. D- didn't um, someone told me, I don't know if that was you, or someone told me they saw you. I don't know if that was you told me that or somebody, but they saw you. Uh, and Juno, and they said, "What are you doing here?" And you go, "I'm a representative." And they go, "What?" They had no. Is that, did you tell me that? Oh yeah, so, I'm someone, sure it is. And, and someone, I, someone said I, they didn't even. They, they had no idea. You know, this no. is like recently. Oh no, <laughs> and, 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 and you, Jeff, you know my personality as well as anybody. When I first came down here, and I was down doing uh, introduction to the process, and I'm walking down the hallway, and uh, some people are moving furniture around, and I asked them if I could help them, and they said, "Sure, you. Yeah, we could use help help move some furniture in the office." They asked me who I was working for. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, there's a bit of a shock effect because, you know, you know my personality as well as anyone. and uh, I'd say very high energy. Yeah, and around here, high energy pays off in the end because it it, it, start, it can wear on you very easily. The, the emotions of this place is, you know, it's, it's trying. You, you gave, uh, you know, it's been, it took a while, a month for the house to organize, and I know a lot of people were, everybody was really frustrated, but you gave that when they voted uh, to elect... Um, Representative Edgman, a speaker, you gave, uh, you read the Navy Navy SEAL Creed. And uh, I think that was the first uh, applause this session from the, the whole, after you were done, the whole kind of body applauded. But that was a pretty, pretty impactful. I was there in the gallery. It was a pretty impactful 
statement you read there. Well, I, I appreciate that because you know it's it's who we are, and I think there's no reason we should we can't carry that on collectively around here. Is uh, honor integrity, you know, is sort of who I am, and I as I've told you before, I bleed red, white, and blue. So patriotism goes a long way, and there should be no less patriotism in this building as uh, representing your constituent in the state of Alaska than you are as a as a Navy SEAL or anybody that serves your country. So with the, the, you know, there's like a record number of freshmen, I think in the house 14, you're one of them. Um, I mean, I know it was really obviously very frustrating for everybody. Um, what was it, I mean, what was it like to kind of deal with this kind of constant, not, you know, it was really close and didn't happen and there was no speaker and finally it happened, but it must've been very. The hardship was the, the unknown because as freshmen, we didn't really have the educational opportunities of having been here before. So we're learning as we go, a sort of on the job training and as freshmen, we looked a lot to our leadership and hoped for the best. And so we would follow day to day what thing, what was going on. And uh, it was sort of going on everywhere. And we were trying to pick up the pieces in our eight freshmen on the Republican side. And we would actually get together among ourselves and try to have a freshman caucus so we can try to find out what's going on. And uh, in the end, Bryce Edgman got elected and we said, okay, I guess that's the way it ends up. So I saw the committee assignments came out. So you're, you're on... Um, Judiciary and State Affairs. Okay, so did, <laughs> I didn't get on Military and Veterans Affairs. <laughs> yeah, so there's it's it's interesting because there's you, uh, Josh Revac, um, Sh- Sharon uh, Jackson. Jackson. I'm trying to think, there's quite a few veterans. Ben, ben Carpenter. Ben Carpenter is another one. Yeah. yeah so there's, Steve Thompson. Yeah, more veterans. I think this legislature than yes. there has been in the past. Yeah, in fact, I think I think we've got eight. I thought I saw eight total or thereabouts. Yeah, we've got two, four. Oh, and David Eastman, right? West yeah, Point graduate. Yeah, yeah. yeah, John Coghill, Mike Showers, the fighter pilot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. And, and you and Josh Revac, you guys, you guys share the same Senate district. You guys both represent each one of the House. Correct. Yes, we do. Districts. So, yeah. Him and I have developed a little bit of a brotherhood. We give each other a hard time about my time in the jungle and his time in an air-conditioned tank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you told him about that. So, I mean, going forward, there's a few months left. I mean, what, what do you? What, are you looking at anything in particular? Or? What, what, what's your kind of... No, I, uh, I have an opportunity to co-sponsor a couple bills. Uh, one, designating the American Hmong uh, uh, value. Because I, my generation, Vietnam generation, they were lifesavers of us. The Hmong population on the border, Laos and, uh, and Vietnam, yeah. they took a beating. They probably took uh, 10 times the casualties we did. But they were our, many, in many respects, saving grace. So I'm a co-sponsor uh, on that bill. Uh, I'm also a co-sponsor with Andy Story on a, a bill that benefits military, uh, the military community. So people come to me for that benefit, and I can give them a, a bit of history, and I can help them out a little bit. Yeah, I think a lot of folk, you know, folks, I, I've read a lot about history, but the, the Hmong were big allies to the Americans. Huge. and They're, they're um, kind of like, I guess, I don't know if you call them mountain people or kind yes, of they high, are. high they are. hill people, but um, they... they uh, they took a real, I mean, the, you know, North Vietnamese were not happy about Very their, much their, so. Their, so after the war was over, many of them ended up coming over to the United States. Yes. For, yep. for their help. Yes. Yep. Did you interact with a lot of Hmong people when you were over there? I, I did not as much. We, we had a platoon that worked uh, north and they were working on the border and they uh, uh, interacted with some of those folks. I was down in the Delta, so I didn't get as much of uh, So you, you, you were you were like legit SEAL team kind of back secret op stuff and well that kind we, of what? we called it low intensity conflict uh counterinsurgency we tried to stay low-key as we could and uh, gather intel and then tr- try to uh, try to do something constructive without getting in a big firefight i mean it was always on standby for a firefight but how many uh guys were on your team 
We had 14 to a platoon. We worked seven-man squads. So when you were out on a mission, I mean, were you, were you out in the jungle for, was it weeks or oh, months? No, or? no, just days. We, we would operate. We'd go out uh, j- just overnight. We never did any long-range reconnaissance. That wasn't our operational uh, uh, that wasn't our operational commitment. We'd go out, gather intel. We'd go out, you know, we'd do a, an operational order at 7 or 8 at night, and then we'd go out after dark and come back sunrise. So how long were you in, in Vietnam for? Six months. Our tours are six months long. Wow. And my second tour, we were winding down, so we were just sort of cleaning up. And I re-enlisted in Vietnam my second tour, and that, about the extent of the action. So you get what, that must have been the 70s? or uh, My first tour was 1970. I came back in 71, then I went back late 72. I re-enlisted September so that was right. That was right when it was kind of winding. It was winding down, yeah. Is that, I know the famous uh, image of the helicopter pushing off the right. carrier. I think so. that was seventy, early 73 maybe. But yeah, that was the end of the, of the war was starting to shut down. So after after that, you is that when you went back to school or did, did uh, you stay active duty yeah, for a no, while? No, I, I stayed active duty till 77. And uh, flew down to Panama with a ranger battalion out of Fort Lewis and went to jungle warfare school in 77. And uh, Panama in June just wasn't all that exciting and peacetime at the time. And I'm thinking is how, how important all it, all this is. And mm-hmm. It was 92 degrees and 90 Yeah, you had to wait a few more years in the 80s when all the yeah. dr- drug stuff, and all, the, when it all, started, all the Reagan stuff yeah, started. In fact, 79, when they had the Iranian fiasco, uh, Dick Marcinko, that's when he brought about SEAL Team 6 because there was so much miscommunication with so many organizations. Dick Marcinko said, you know, well, let's just put a SEAL team together that can make all of this work and we'll have a special operations command. Well, so, there was the big, you know, I, I, I read a uh, guest of the Ayatollah all about that. But, you know, I think a lot of folks don't realize there was this big uh, effort, Delta Force kind of covert op to go in there and, res- and rescue them. And they sent some CIA guys in to basically map out the the desert and they put they put in uh, lights and they landed the c-130 and some helicopters and i mean the whole thing went went wrong i mean the, the, totally there was a there was a bus that drove by with some iranian then they, they i think they shot at they they fired a missile at it and then the helicopter crashed into the c-130 and that's when the iranians realized you know like wow these guys can't actually get in here and uh, that's where they moved all the hostages. But was that a was that a that was a Delta Force operation? It I was. Uh, well, that's when they brought special operations uh, together collectively: Delta Force SEAL team, uh, Marine Recon, uh, Air Force. Beach. All that came together because of that incident. Because there was such a communication breakdown, and with the CIA involved as well, it was just all over the place. And that's part of the reason everything fell apart. That's yeah, wild. They sent in these like two CIA guys. I think it was two or three CIA guys in the middle of the desert on their own, and they yeah. basically mapped out a landing zone. And they put in lights so the the C one thirty could could see. It. I mean, it's just like imagine being that guy in the middle of Iran and the set, you know, during the revolution. And yeah. Well, SEAL Team Six got built from that. So, so was there a lot of uh, was it like more friendly competition? Like, there's the 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 PJs and the SEALs and the range. I mean, there's all these different. You guys kind of oh yeah friendly a, com- competition. Oh, or? absolutely. It's a collective brotherhood that uh, no matter where we are, if we are part of that organization, we are part of the Special Operations Command. We are basically of one command. It doesn't make any difference which branch of service you are. Uh, pr- pretty tight fit. So you, so you got out in 77? I got off active duty in 77. I stayed in the reserves, in the SEAL reserves, because I wanted to maintain the, my continuity with the community, because I could go back every two weeks and go back jumping out of airplanes and, and go scuba diving. Have you ever done any of the really high altitude, like the... The six, seven mile jumps? Oh, no. I have Haho started after my time. Uh, everybody was free fall qualified, but uh, the, the high altitude stuff at, uh, you know, 40, 24, 40,000 feet. That's wild. Yeah, 35, 40,000. Yeah, I mean, that's just like, you have to have an oxygen mask, <clears throat> right? To, yeah. 
Yeah, so those guys that they actually had, I had a group that went to Florida and they did some high high altitude high opening, and they could see the entire outline of Florida. Look, look like it on a real map. They're forty thousand feet, and they're under canopy. Wow. I think they're on canopy, under canopy, probably at uh, fifteen thousand feet, and then flying. And you know their glide ratio is probably, I don't know, two to one. So they can go a long ways, undetected. What's, what's the glide ratio of your para- paraglider? I get about eight to one. So I fly actual sailplanes. So some of the some of the really high performing sailplanes, you know, they have 35, 40 to one they do. flood ratio. So you, yeah. you can go a long way in those oh, things. Oh, I, I flew down, I, I fly sailplanes as well. And I was down in Minden, Nevada flying. I took my wife for a flight. That's like the Mecca. That's for, the Mecca. Yeah, I mean, they, they fly 40,000 feet there. They fly 635 miles out of Minden. I got in New Mexico, I got to 25,000 feet once in, a, yeah. in, a glide, in, the, in the mountain wave. In the wave. So we got to 20, it was, nine, it was 19 above the ground. But, you know, you're in this little tiny two-person kind of cock, you know, cockpit, and you have oxygen on because you have to have oxygen that high. But you look down, and I mean, it's almost, you kind of, it's the same same kind of image you get when you're on like a like a commercial plane. Yeah. And Except you're looking, you're in this little cockpit, and, and it's, it's freezing. Quiet. It's, it's yeah. freezing. I mean, it's like, you know, 20 below zero. Because it's in the winter is when the wave really. Yeah. Can, can the paraglider get, um, can you get in the wave in the paraglider? You can, but it's not advisable because you don't have a rigid wing and... Oh, it could, uh, it could collapse the oh, wing? Oh, it just tear you to pieces. And... There was a couple folks that were down in a place. It was uh, Manila, Australia, and there was a competition. And these two folks got caught on the edge of a thunderstorm, and there's suck that takes place here because the clouds. Oh, they'll pull, pull you up. Right, yeah, pull yeah, you yeah. Up. Know, so yeah, of course. They ended up getting caught in a, th- a thundercloud, a, a, a huge thundercloud, and went up to 40,000 feet. Killed, probably killed. Well, one of them got unconscious, had their wing ripped apart, and uh, ended up surviving. A uh, Korean lady, and then the other guy got, uh, died. But do you have a Do you have a parachute in your? I do. I have a reserve parachute that I carry with me, just in case. So the I mean, the big concern with those is is if the if the wing were to collapse and you weren't weren't able to recover it. That's, right. Yeah. And sometimes you're flying pretty low, right? You're. Yeah, if you're flying, your low, your reserve doesn't do you any good. You got to be a couple hundred feet up for that to work. And and lots of times on days like this, we just fly along the trees and boat around, so you don't have enough height to really make a difference with the reserve. So as a reserve, you you have to you have to physically you have to pull you have to, it. Yeah, so you have to, to act pretty quick if you're. Yes. Pretty. You, you ever you ever done a training with that? Or? Yes, I have. I've done. We've all done training with the reserve. We go through a maneuvers clinic where we go through the safety procedures. We collapse our chute and uh, we throw our reserve, and it's all over the water. Yeah, I was so going to say it's over water. Yeah. It's over water. So we throw our reserve to see how it works, and then. Because every you're supposed to repack it every year. You don't want it to be packed too tight for too long, and so we throw it and we repack it and start Just over. Thinking about all the, all the craziness in this legisl- in this building is nothing compared to you know somebody throwing a reserve chute over over a lake. Yeah, that's uh, it, it. Doesn't seem to bother me as much as you know some of the safe things that take place in this hallway. What, what, I was gonna say, what's more frustrating, you know? It, being in a scary situation in the paraglider or dealing no, with some of the people I, I can deal with in that. here uh, trying to yeah. figure figure out how to... Yeah, deal, dealing with those stressful situations, uh, that's, uh, I, I sort of live for that moment. I like that, take, going to the edge and making the most of the hardships initially. And like the the, the year I did the I did a bike, uh, Vern Teos and I pushed our bikes for... What's that? Is that a, like a bike bike ride for the Iditarod Trail? Yeah, on the Iditarod Trail. We started in 1986. Started out as the I did a bike and then became the I did a sport. But Wait, so you... you... Rode a bike from Anchorage from, to from Squentna to or from Connick to Squentna and back two hundred and ten miles. Ooh, jeez! And, uh, and that that was the year that I had made a quote because they made a big deal about you know my background and they said this is the kind of race where the cowards won't show and the weak will die along the way. 
Well, <laughs> I, I didn't quite finish, so Outside Magazine got a hold of it. And they said, you know, Laddie's not a coward because he showed, but he was weak. He <laughs> 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 just tore me apart. When, when was that? 1986. So I went back the next year and finished. <laughs> and when I, when I came to your house for the video we did, I, I, you, you're a big runner too, right? You were a big... Uh, yeah, I ran for I saw all those pictures of you, all the running. And there was a... Who was that one guy you were with? And that one uh, You were telling me it was somebody... Oh, I'm trying to think. It was a real well-known Alaskan guy in one of the pictures hanging on your wall. Oh, hard to say. There's a few of them out there. Yeah, I ran for about 27 years competitively. I think the best part about your, that room you have with those pictures, you have all that Navy SEAL gear. Yeah. You were yeah. showing me. My, my wife calls it my love me room. Yeah, and then your wife, she's actually really great, too. I met her, and she was here, um, I guess, for the swearing sure. in, right? Yeah, yeah. She's kind of holding down the fort there in she Anchorage. She is holding down the fort. We're uh, 34 years this year to get together, so she is. Uh, she's my rock. Wow, so you're, what, you're 84? Uh, <laughs> no, mean, no, what year married? Oh, um, we got married in 91. We started dating in 85. Yeah, I was born in 84, so. That's I'll, not that funny. I'll, it's I'll, like I'll uh, Jonathan Christ Thompson and I were talking the other day, and we both are, are competitive runners. Yeah, I saw it. Did you guys do Mount Roberts? Or we did Mount Roberts. I saw a picture you posted. Yeah, and so uh, we're talking about times, and we both did the Equinox Marathon. And uh, so we compared times, and my time was eight minutes faster than his. He ran 314. I ran 306 at Equinox. But I did it three years before he was born. <laughs> wow! Yeah, no, he, he's uh, he was elected. That's, he ran in twenty twelve because that's when I ran. He, he was, I think, the youngest. Yeah, he was the youngest one, and I think now Sarah Rasmussen is younger. Right. Well, him. well, but no, he was twenty two when he got elected. Right, right. Up, up until I think right. her, I think he was been the young. He was, yeah, he yes, was he very was. young when he got elected because yeah, he just turned thirty. Yeah. Wow. Big, 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 diverse, big diversity oh, in the house here. In fact, between Sarah and I, we have the true freshman freshman, and then myself. I'm the senior freshman. Senior, <laughs> kind of the lead, leading the yeah, because a lot of them are. I mean, Josh and Sarah and Ben, ben Carpenter. I mean, they're all. I mean, they're all. They're all know, under forty. Pretty, pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty young. Yeah. So who's uh, who's the oldest one in the house? I wonder. Uh, Steve Thompson. I think. Oh, Steve's, yeah, I think right. Steve's yeah, probably seventy-four, maybe. So you're you're you're, uh, you're, you're pretty and close. And then I'm huh? I'm next. Yeah. Well, we should get got to get you some kind of award or something. Someday. We should, you know, we should have a, at least an extended senior award for people over sixty. Well, there's a few people over sixty, but hey, seventy, buddy. That's so where so when go. do you turn seventy? April sixth. Oh, so you'll be in June. Oh, yeah. so they're gonna they'll sing to you. Oh no, yeah, Andy Story and I uh, are. She's gonna celebrate turning sixty, and I'm gonna ce- celebrate turning seventy uh, within four days of each other. So maybe you guys can have a party. big party over. Something. Oh yeah, we're gonna have a big party. One of the salt or something. Yeah. So I mean, overall, you've been here for what about well, six weeks? I guess a little under six weeks. I guess. You Almost. said six weeks. I thought you said met six months. No, in, in, in Juno since the... Uh, yeah, it feels like six yeah, months. Well, <laughs> no, sure it's, it been, it's been about six weeks. So, I mean, what's what's it's your first time here as a legend? What, what's your kind of big takeaway from what you expected to what where you are now? Huge learning experience. You know, I, I like to say uh, I've been around the block at least twice. I can tell you I've been around the world twice. And uh, What's that thing you said? You've ridden a bull. You told me on the... Oh, yeah. And, and I, I make that comparison. I said, you know, I've jumped some, some I've jumped from some pretty high heights. I've dove to some pretty deep depths. I've ridden a rodeo bull. I've been in a bar fight with a Marine. And uh, running for office is right up there with the rest of them. It's brutal. <laughs> I remember you said that. Yeah. That was a big, that was a good line. So, I mean, it's, it's been, obviously, I'm sure it's, this is like nothing, I mean, this is like nothing else anybody's probably, most no, people ever deal with. No, it's, it's... Uh, a lot of personalities. You, I, once you get down here, you have to be very conscientious of what you had wished for, 
because politics, you want, you want to be of service. You want to represent your community, and it's not for everybody. I guarantee you, you have to have a personality that, that will blend, adjust, compromise, and there's a lot that goes into it that uh, where your heart and soul have to get involved. And a lot of people have told me in the past, you know, they didn't think I had a heart. You know, they listen to me breathe, and they go, so what's running your system, just your lungs? Because uh, I'm sort of a, I don't want to say hard, hard-hearted guy, but... I, uh, I get I can get pretty intense, but down here I've had to hold on to that level of intensity because uh, best to go in and just take a deep breath, think, not your, not let your lips get ahead of you so your teeth come back and bite you in the butt. I think the the most interesting thing I've observed in Juno is there's people that I've I see interact with each other, friendly interactions, who I know hate each other. I mean they, they've during campaigns they've campaigned against each other. You know, one person has has endorsed the opponent, and they've you know they they don't like each other, but but you know you see them kind of talking to each other like it's it's just really a weird it's like the only kind of environment where that you, you can just really just in campaign season you know be fighting furiously against somebody and then in the building it's like how are yeah. you you know being, i almost giving him a hug yeah <laughs> and the irony of it i've actually uh sort of come to grips with both my opponents you know they both hit me pretty hard they hit each other pretty hard as well but uh, yeah, that got pretty, pretty. Nasty yeah, it got pretty nasty. But you know, I stayed out of the fray, and both of them have, have come to me and congratulated me, talked to me it, finally, and uh, it's all good now. So, and you have you actually have some really good staff too, oh, which huge. I think is really well, important. Uh, I mean, I yeah. guarantee you, Jeff, a big part of any success I have around here. Josh and, Pat, and Patrick, they both been in Juno for a while. They've yep. worked. They know kind of the. I think that's a mistake some people make. They they bring in staff that maybe don't really have a understanding. And, and your guys both. Oh, have these a, two guys—they're—they're they're my rock down here. I guarantee you. If especially I could, Patrick with his uh, his suits, he looks like he's uh, in the debt collection business. Yeah, as long as he doesn't rip his pants on on a regular basis <laughs> like he does. <laughs> he looks—he's those three-piece suits. He looks, yeah. he looks oh, like yeah, he's yeah. East Coast. You know? I told him he needs to start taking the stairs more, and then he'll fit a little looser. <laughs> but I mean, that's probably—I mean, for you, it's probably—I'm sure—a big help having some experienced staff. Oh, Jeff, without them, I—I'd I, be lost in here. I mean, those both those, and they—they they live and breathe this stuff. I mean. Um, Patrick came over from Harriet Drummond's office. Josh came over from Mia Costello's office, and they both know how the system works. I mean, they lay out books for me. They lay out my schedule. When I walk out of here, I'm ready to go to work. Without them, I'd be asking questions. Where do I go? What do I do? Mm-hmm. They point me in the right direction, and they literally uh, take care of every every need I have during the day. I think it's one thing that the public doesn't necessarily always realize is how much the staff does for all the rep- representatives and senators. I mean, the staff is such a big part of i mean understanding the bills and the, you know who to talk to and where yep. to go and when to go yeah so it's and uh, they they write scripts for me depending on if i've got a committee meeting if, if i've got somewhere i've got to go if i have a speech to make those guys put the script together for me and that's the staff is truly uh underrepresented and undervalued relative to the public's knowledge because they it's any success that we have as representatives is based on the uh, strength of our staff yeah, well, Laddie, I appreciate you doing this. This has been a really great uh, podcast. You're 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 one of a, you're one in a million. You're you're a real character, <laughs> Jeff. I appreciate you know one character will always appreciate another. That's true. That's true. And yeah. here we are. Well, I uh, wish you the best of luck. I know we'll be seeing you around in the in the Capitol here, but thanks for doing the podcast and uh, just just really enjoyed all the stories. I mean, that's great stuff. Well, they go on forever. So if you ever want to do it again, we no, can. Well, have yeah, more well, no, we'll we'll do one again. We'll have more stories. Maybe we'll uh, have a few drinks next time. And yeah, get, get, get that'll them. work. We'll really get the stories out <laughs> there. Really get them going. All right, folks. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back with more uh, podcast on uh, Landmine Radio. Landmine.